0: It was a good time. We are starting another se- a new series right now, four week series. Now, no like long year long series. Many of you are saying, "Amen." Um, I looked back at that Roman series, and I'm like, "Wow, that was a long." Anyway, but we're starting this thing um, at, that is. Uh, where did I put it? I have a little booklet someplace. Maybe I don't have it here. Uh, hello, Dick. How are you? I like the beard. Um, we have these little booklets on the way out, uh, hopefully there'll be somebody at the door handing these out to you, maybe one per couple, uh, but you could take two if you really want, I don't care. Um, uh, and and uh, just something for you to read through as we go through the series, this is the series everyone gets to play, it's sort of um, some background for you as we we, we go through this, uh, But after that, we're going to go through our vision and value series, which we haven't done in over three years. And we kind of like to do that every three years or so, is to kind of talk about that. It does change. So all you old heads are like, oh, again? No, you're you're going to get some good stuff again. So um, anyway, but we're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, where it says... So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And I want to point out that's apostles with a little a. It's not referring to the original apostles. I think it's referring to people with that gifting of ministry. Uh, So the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for our calling. But most of all, I think we thank you for your presence in our life. We ask that we would have more of that. Come, Holy Spirit, right now, just fill this room from the apex of the roof to the fibers of the carpet to every crack and crevice in the walls and windows. Surround us and infiltrate us with your presence so that we would know you better and be drawn into who we are in you and what we are to be and to do in this world. We love you so much. And we want to love you with every single ounce of what we are. And we thank you for that. So speak to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we listen to that set of verses, I want to point out that we as Christians tend to uh, pace the word leadership over those five equipping ministries. And the concept of leadership, I believe, has been lifted so high in the church that it is to sacrifice its original purpose, and that is to serve and to build up, to bring unity and to bring us into full knowledge of of Christ and all of that kind of stuff, and prepare the body of Christ for the ministry that it is supposed to be doing. Uh, Leadership's become sort of the goal in and of itself, right? As if uh, it's something to attain above everybody else. And it kind of disregards God's presence. It disregards the fact that God creates these leaders, right? These people with this certain gifting or power or whatever it is you want to say that they have. Everyone else who doesn't have the leadership gifting become spectators in church by default. You just sit and listen, right? Leadership often only accounts for pastors and teachers and i believe that's because that can be a very passive thing you can sit there and listen to me and not have to do much well that's not what it's meant to be like right and the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and people like that often get kind of disregarded or put off to the side we don't talk about them much perhaps because they're sort of vague Or they're risky in relational practice. They actually call us out to do something. It's scary to be around an evangelist or a prophet. (laughs) Isn't it? It is. I had two women, I think I told you this once, I had these two women at a prayer conference corner me. Man, they cornered me and they just started prophesying over me and they were spot on. It was beautiful. But it was kind of spooky, right? It's kind of like, well, you're like... Tearing open my soul right now, right? Um, But we need to return to a healthy understanding of these ministries and the devotion of spiritual formation of all believers, right? Uh, Valuing what God can do in equipping us through each one of them. Leadership serves the faith community, serves the local church to do the work of the kingdom that Christ calls us all to be a part of, right? Like, everybody gets to play. Title of the series, right? The focus being on the church's ministry, on our ministry as people. It's the underpinning which holds up the body, teaching it to practice the presence of God to be able to manifest Christ to the nation's. And we see these five ministries represented realizing it's not just these certain people in the church with these gifts that get to do this stuff, but they're to train others in them for ministry. In other words, all believers can and should be operating at some level in these gifting, becoming able to lead others into the presence of Christ through them, right? You may not be the best evangelist in the world, but you can learn something from an evangelist. And what do these people look like? Well, really briefly, in my own personal, you know, outlook of it, apostles for me are people that are called, they're, they're the sent ones, right? Um, they're, they're people who pioneer God's uh, mission into new places, sort of crossing geographic and cultural and economic uh, and social barriers at times. And they are restless people they are restless they are unsatisfied people that are calling the church forward into its calling to out to reach the nations all people groups right they are risk takers Uh, they are big big thinkers they are influencers and we need them to challenge us but they need also the rest of us to keep them grounded sometimes as well they often become missionaries and church planters and organizational leaders. And you know, if you know me, you know that I was a missionary and a church planter. So when I came home from Indonesia, my church at the time, Church of the Savior, wrangled me into a room and sat me down and they said, we recognize your apostolic gifting and we want you to plant a church. That's part of my gifting. You know, it's just something I have, right? Uh, Prophets are uniquely tuned into God's voice, right? They're they, are, they operate with discernment and ability to differentiate his voice and culture. Or his voice and the demonic voice sometimes, right? And they bring to us encouraging words. I believe a prophet's words are always encouraging. It's always like something that builds us up and leads us back into truth. They may be convicting, but they're encouraging. They may be convicting and you know, hard to wrangle with, but they're, they're something that builds us up. And they speak what they hear the Spirit say over us. They are also risk takers. Um, we need them. But they also need to be humble and open to challenge in, what, in their gifting, right? Because they can be wrong. Good prophets, you know, prophecy with an open palm. When they give you something that they feel the Lord is saying to you, uh, they, they do it with an open palm. They often ask uh, to check that against scripture and against faith tradition, and also against uh, the people it concerns. So they always, often say, "This is what I'm hearing. Does that make sense to you?" You know, let, let's all hear this together, right? And they get they get confirmation in that way. Evangelists are people who have a unique gifting and a unique desire to communicate the gospel in contextual, meaning uh, ways that make sense to those who don't yet know Jesus. So they can. They can have that uncanny ability to speak the, the message of the gospel into people's lives in whatever context they are in. Um, and we need them to challenge us. We need them to draw us out to share the gospel, to be out there caring about people that don't yet know Jesus. But they also need to be grounded. Sometimes they forget that the church internally needs to be built up, that we are in pain too, that we are dealing with things too, that we need to grow in our knowledge and and be built up as well. And so they need to, you know, have one eye back in the church and one eye out in the world, right? Uh, So they need to be concerned about the spiritual formation of all believers. And then you have pastors and teachers, you know, kind of lump them together in a sense because they kind of cross over. You know, what I do up here is both, you know, preaching and teaching, right? They cross over. There's something... Uh, that we share there. But um, they are those people that make clear the meaning of Scripture and how it applies to life, especially in our own cultural context. So I think a lot about worldview and, you know, common cultural practices and thought life and all that kind of stuff. And I try to, you know, navigate you guys through the Scriptures in that and all that kind of stuff. Pastors have the ability usually to lead with compassion and understanding. Some don't. Some we would (laughs) rather not be a pastor at times, right? But, um, you know, they, they, they usually do. There's, a, like, there's this mental image of a pastor of a caring being who really walks you through life, so, so to speak. Uh, when you think of pastors, you think of preaching. And preaching is really the proclamation of truth. They are saying it, right? Um, they're not necessarily teaching it. They're, they're proclaiming it, right? And when you think of a teacher, you think of an exchange of information. They're leading you through maybe history and understanding and things like that. You may be a great pastor without a pulpit. And you can also be a great teacher without a classroom. And by the way, one of our teachers is going to teach a class. Uh, Julie Cowan is going to teach a class this fall on um, hermeneutics, on how to study the Bible. And if you want to join her with that, that'd be great. We're still nailing down those dates. Um, But they are all servant leaders in various capacities, right? They build up the church, train and model these gifts that we grow in them as well. That's what that's what they're doing. And remember, in that, remember this. Managers do things right. Leaders do the right thing. Managers do, things right, do do things right. Leaders do the right thing. In other words, we're not looking for managers to control us in the church. We are looking for leaders to equip and inspire us. To move us out and build us up. And their goals are always you know, building into the knowledge of Christ, you know, uh, 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 unity, maturity in the faith, things like that, making full, well-rounded disciples of Jesus who actively minister the, the message of the gospel, the life of Christ uh, to a lost world, to people who need it. And so Jesus invites us and he entrusts us all as Christians to kingdom work. He, he draws us into that. And he trains us all up in these ministries to speak life uh, into the communities in which our churches reside. So this local community, we serve this local community as as a body of believers. And we are here to minister Jesus' heart and words to the world, to love people very practically. So introvert, extrovert, small, tall, you know, educated, uneducated, you know, i want to say woodsman is there ever a woods a carpenter <laughs> or banker whatever you are it doesn't matter right? woodsman where did i get that everybody gets to play right no matter who you are you if you're if you have faith in jesus you're part of the church you have a role to play and in in right now jesus is training disciples so the question is, are we available to him? Do we make ourselves available to him? Let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 45. A little lengthy, but a, and a little spooky. A little spooky part of the Bible. But let's see at least in part what he's training us or bringing us into. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, talking about the very end days, right? All angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. That's a mental image, right? Think about that. And all the nations will be gathered before him. That's a cool picture all the people groups of the world gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left ah it's spooky And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I just had a conversation with somebody here. I won't say her name because I'm not sure if she would be embarrassed by this, but she talked about inviting people into her home and giving them a place to live for a while and and paying bills for them and and feeding them and things like that. This is what we're talking about. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for, the, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, here's the hard part, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. Does it help if I smile? when I, Depart from me. Right? That's, this is hard to hear. <laughs> you who are cursed. Right Uh, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. For I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. And I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me makes you question your choices and your time, doesn't it? We also see his ministry in Luke chapter 7, 21 through 23. It says, at the very time, Jesus cured many who had dece- diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. And he replied to the messengers, these were messengers from John the Baptist, who had come to see, ask what he was about. Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now those are very hard passages in some ways because they call us into action in ministry. They call us to actually do something with our faith. So we're not just watching the game from our couch. The Eagles started this week, right? I almost, I almost texted John, because he was on the pastoral council. I almost texted John right at 8.25 and said... And said, John, church emergency. Meet me at the church right now. But thankfully, I forgot to do that. And by the way, when the Eagles play in London, you got to be here, man. No, I'm just kidding. You can watch the game. You know, well, you know, us faithful will be here, but you can go we'll watch the game. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but we're not just watching the game from our couch. We are called onto the field, right? With the rest of the team to play the game, right? We're called into it. Now, modernism told us that faith had mostly to do with only what we believe. Sort of a, like sitting on the, the couch and only watching you know, the game from our couch, absorbing information only, right? And the pendulum of faith Faith life swung to that side of the spectrum for various reasons. Too lengthy to go into here. But we see that modernism told us that belief or orthodoxy, which is right thinking, and by the way, our culture doesn't think that there's a right thinking, but there is a right thinking. So belief, orthodoxy, right thinking trumped good works, which is orthopraxy or right practice. And by the way, there is a right practice. And so good works went to the wayside or became suspect at the very least. Instead of the biblical truth that belief should move us into uh, good works, that our faith should move our thoughts and our choices and our bodies into good works, that they stand in balance, belief and practice stand in balance, that right belief informs right action. Let me say that twice. Right belief informs informed right action Ephesians 2 1 through 10 one of my favorite passages in the scripture outlines the sentiment clearly and it ends in this thought in verse 8 it says for it is by grace you have been saved this is a thought through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works of the knowing of both that is orthodoxy that is something that we need to understand and believe and apply to our lives but verse 10 says for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to what to do good works not to sit on the couch and watch the game to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do they are god's works that he's preparing for us and calling us into right that's orthopraxy that's right practice right so we see here the end result The end result of salvation for us is not just waiting around till Jesus comes back. The end result of salvation are changed people who work in partnership with God in what they do. In society, in the world, in relationships with each other and with other people, all that kind of stuff. And last, last week we said extravagant action follows extravagant faith. Extravagant action follows extravagant faith like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm gonna eat dinner at your house tonight. And it's suddenly he's giving away all his money, paying back debts, and people he's stolen from. Good works are the result of faith, not the basis for it. Ephesians chapter 2, right? Now, the problem that we face in the the postmodern society or postmodern church is that the pendulum wants to, and probably has, swung back to the other extreme. In other words, orthodoxy or right belief gets sacrificed at the altar of doing good. Sneer quotes, doing good. Now, notice I didn't say the altar of orthopraxy. Because since to have right practice, you have to have right belief. And people are disregarding the scriptures. Uh, Phil Stroud at the, con- the conference, the National Vineyard Leader, said, do we ever ask the question, what do the scriptures say anymore? We've got to ask that question first, right? To have right practice, you have to have right belief. If there's no right belief, then there's no standard for right practice, which is where the current worldview is taking our culture right now. And and the Christian subculture just kind of blindly goes along with it, like a dog on a leash sometimes. Just being drug along. See, the modern spiritual narrative is, and these are even people in churches, is that there may be a God, but He's only there to help me when needed, And he doesn't define morality, I do. And whatever makes me feel good or feel happy is the right path. And in our current secular worldview, personal feelings are the barometer, the only barometer of doing good. And if that's the only barometer, then although well-intentioned, we will do a world of damage without even ever realizing it, or by the time we realize it, the damage has already been done we see this in so many different avenues in society right now. See, what's good must be defined by God. Not culture. It's, it's His good that we do. There's the difference. That's the true Christian difference. We should stop that pendulum from swinging to the extreme and allow it to rest right in the middle where truth and deed work together for the kingdom of God. For the betterment of humankind. For the sake of Jesus and the lives of others. And this is why 6 Eight seeks to provide avenues through our community groups. Working with community partners to do good in our community. But it doesn't just stop with the activities that we involve ourselves with. Like putting on a movie in a park. That's not where it stops. You know... It, 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 it is in developing relationship with these people, our neighbors, as, as this church, all the people out there through these activities that we develop a relationship with them, that we recognize needs in their lives personally, and that we minister to them. So when the head of one of our park associations gets cancer, we show up at our house and we pray over her. And we talk to her about Jesus. Bringing the presence of Christ into their lives where's where it's needed that's exciting stuff right see jesus challenged everybody to believe on him he upheld the hebrew scriptures as the as god's truth as the written word of god as we should and you know right belief always leads to change hearts which leads to change lives which includes our behavior right so what we do in pursuit of personal holiness privately as well as our words and our deeds in relationship to others publicly there are certain things you can't do as a christian i mean you can do them but the, you you would be wrong in doing them right and wrong there is a right and wrong those are not popular concepts these days but we are looking at the holistic person in spiritual formation of character and will and feelings and body and and decisions and resources and soul and etc and so on and forth so so on and so forth everything that we are right all being informed by right belief in christ leading to the work of the kingdom of god in the world which begs the question what does jesus train his church to do right and to answer that question, we ask the question, what did Jesus what did do, right? Maybe you've had that bracelet, right? What did Jesus do? Acts chapter 10, 36 and 38. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That is orthodoxy. That is a right belief that the Messiah was coming. They blah, blah, blah. You know, you get it, right? Verse 37, you know what has happened throughout the providence of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's orthopraxy, watching Jesus do what he did, right? So Jesus models ministry for us, It is an interactive learning experience. If you were a disciple that day, you you got to be a part of it. You got to help feed the 5,000. You got to walk around and, and care for people. You touched Lazarus when he came out of the grave, for goodness sakes. You saw it happen. It's not just an exchange of information. It's not just a belief system, bloop, lay it on my shoulders and I watch from the sideline. Jesus openly welcomed people. He was anointed with the Spirit and with power. He practiced good works of healing and releasing captives from evil. He lived out the Father's heart among people. There are thi- And these are the things that He calls and sends His disciples, including you and me, out to be and to do. I uh, am going through a prayer ministry thing right now uh, with Rachel Ruggieri's father, who's a former pastor, uh, you can be praying for me in that. Uh, on on September 20th, they're going to start the first session with me. And I'm doing this myself first so that if, if I want to implement it here, I feel like I have to be brave enough to go through it myself. Five hours, they're going to pray over me. Five hours. I've got to be there at 10. That's going to be like, it's a little scary, but it's an act of faith moment for me, right? But as disciples are baptized in the holy spirit a promise he made that that to send this counselor to send the god the holy spirit right powering us for this ministry for the works of this ministry crossing borders and boundaries and welcoming all people they go do ministry didn't they that's what they did baptizing others in the name of god the father god the son and god the holy spirit and teaching them to obey all that christ commanded orthodoxy One of the greatest yet simple and profound tools that we have in ministry uh, with others is prayer. Praying for people, right? Anyone can minister to somebody else in prayer through the Spirit's leading. You'll find that most people are very open to being prayed over and they are desperately moved by it. They are profoundly moved by it. And all we have to do is listen and then ask, can I pray for you right now and then do it. So I want to practice this. Really quickly here this morning. I, want, I need four volunteers. Can I have four volunteers? Would you raise your hand, Lindley, Joe? Let's see. I'm going to Katie. I'm going to uh, Lindley, Joe, Katie, Let's see. Mm. Is John Culp here? I want John Culp. Yeah, come up here, John. You four. Now I need. I need you guys to come up here. I, I chose you guys for a reason. Stand up here, in line, and I want you to face me. Face me, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to shut your mouths. Don't say a word, and I want you to bow your heads. All right, don't look. Uh, I need four more volunteers. Jamie, you want to come up? <laughs> um, want you come up? Hold on, hold on, come here, come here, come here, come here um here right there um okay and just do the same there now I will you guys can't say a word don't say a word now I want you to put your hand on these people's shoulders okay good Now, what we're going to do is we're going to do a little prayer um, exercise. And in a minute, I'm going to ask these guys to verbally, to to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to them about their partner. They're going to pray over their partners. And we're going to give them a moment of silence, like maybe a minute or so of silence, so that they can hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. Now, is this fraught with risk? Of course it is could they be hearing, you know, whatever their pizza said to them last night? I don't you know whatever. I don't know. But there we have to give God a chance to speak, right? And part of prayer our prayer life is listening to the Holy Spirit. So I want to I'm going to ask these guys to go quiet. They're going to invite they're verbally going to say, "Come Holy Spirit, speak to me about my partner." And then they're going to go quiet for a minute. And they're going to listen to the Holy Spirit whatever he says. And then when I when they're done, when I say Uh, Pray. They're going to pray over their partner. Okay. They're going to pray whatever they've heard. They might just share, "I heard this," and then they might pray something about that over that person. Okay. Now here's the kicker: the people in front are the prayers, not the people behind. Okay. So they don't know who's behind them. They have no idea who's standing there with their their hands on their shoulders. That's why you guys have to be quiet. All right. So let's let's go to prayer. I want you guys in the front. And I picked them because I know they are very uh, used to doing this, right? So uh, I want you to um, invite the Holy Spirit, and then I want you to be quiet. And if you don't hear anything, you don't hear anything. Just say that, and just pray something nice over your partner. But um, I, I will tell you when to start. So go ahead and verbally say that out loud. Holy Spirit. Quiet for a minute and we're going to listen to what the Holy Spirit says and you guys in the crowd you can, you can be praying for them Holy Spirit, we don't want to be presumptuous. We don't want to presume on you. We just want to try and practice an open, listening, vibrant relationship with you as we minister to each other. So we pray right now that you would speak through these people to their partners. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want the people in front, I want you to turn around and I want you to share with your partner what you've heard or if you've heard anything, and then I want you to pray for them really quickly. I think we might need to pray over Katie after this. Give you a few more seconds, you guys. Okay. Let's wrap it up. I, I want to give you guys a chance, if, if, if there's anybody that was either prayed for or praying, if there was something profound that you would like to share, you're willing to come up to the micro, microphone and share it. You don't have to. Is there anything that was moving? Obviously, there was some emotion going on here. That's... But I—I'll I, I'll be honest with you. I picked these four people up front. Um, they knew they were coming up, so I lied to you all. They didn't know why though. They had no idea why I was doing what I was doing. Um, and then I—but you know, there were there were. Uh, yeah, it was it was cool. I, but I—I I wanted I want. I mean, this is a nerve nerve wracking exercise, and I and I knew that these four people have been very involved in the prayer ministry, and I knew that I wanted these four people that were up front doing this to be fairly comfortable with themselves and that's why i didn't just ask anybody to come up and do this so um but you guys can go take a seat um but oftentimes i did that prayer exercise vineyard the first vineyard conference i went to and i was the one standing against the wall looking at the wall and then they said i had to pray for somebody and they told me, whatever comes into your mind, share it. And I, I, I think, I, don't, I forget, it was like something like I got a mushroom and a toad or something like that. I was like, well, I, I'm sorry, this is so weird. And as soon as I said it, it just, the person was like, oh my gosh. And they just told, like launched into this whole story. And it meant something to them. It's, it takes practice. A lot of times we are armchair counselors when we pray. We're, we're armchair theologians where we just spout Scripture and talk at people. We don't actually listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying and minister to people through that. Can you be wrong? Sure. But you know what? I, I, I think you, if you take the risk, God's going to meet you in it, right? He's going to meet you in it there. And uh, if you're a, a humble and open that you can be wrong, then it's okay. Take the risk, right? So we see that that's one tool. That's only one tool. Jesus welcomed disciples. He welcomed people. He modeled healing ministry among them. And by the way, prayer ministry is a very powerful healing ministry. Both emotionally, physically, spiritually. It it can heal people in many ways. He discipled them in truth and he challenged them to action. And he commissioned them to go out and do the same. Do what he he, he did. Right? So, are you ready to join that revolution in life? Are you ready for that sort of excitement? Because I'll tell you what, he began doing this. He began calling people out to do this ministry even before he was crucified. You know, we tend to think this all happened after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. But he, he, Luke chapter 10, 1 and 2, he says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him. Notice how they go together with a partner, right? And to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So do you have a part to play in the gospel being extended to the world of your own influence? I think you do. Everybody gets to play right? How can we be welcoming? How can we heal and disciple and commission like Jesus did? What would that look like in your life, right? What would it look like here at church or with our community partners or at work or at home with your neighbors and all that kind of stuff? All of us sort of Becoming able to reproduce Christ followers all around us always sort of doing that work to bring Jesus into life of others around us see you know Jesus sent those 72 out and if you remember the story, you know he's saying go do the stuff of ministry here, go do what I've been doing. Go do what I've been saying, right? Go tell them about me and pray over them and, and, and heal them and all that kind of stuff. And they returned saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were excited. I want that kind of a faith life, like an exciting faith life. I've never been disapp- disappointed when I've taken a faith risk in doing ministry with people. Never, not once. Never, not once. His last command is our first concern. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, or as you are going about life, doing the things that you're doing, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right? orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. That is the great commission. Authority resides with Christ to commission us and empower us for this great work of His and His presence actually goes with us in it. Jesus is here right now. His presence is here in this room right now. Think about that. So we go not only in, the faith, in faith in Jesus, orthodoxy, we go in the act of faith of Jesus. In how we do this, empowered by the Spirit, filled with the, the knowledge of the Word of God. So when Ephesians 4 says, equip his people, who gets excluded from that call or that invitation? Do your kids get excluded? No, <laughs> not at all. uh, Todd just told me about how his son, Cooper, prayed at their dinner table uh, the other night and how beautiful that prayer was. I was moved by that. His son ministered to me even third hand, right? Even from afar. Kids are powerful in their ministry. If you can release them and encourage them to be ministers of the gospel, not little judgmental moralists, but ministers of Jesus, they are powerful. They are probably more powerful than us sometimes. But who gets, who gets excluded? What ethnic group gets excluded? Nobody. There are no boundaries here. What, women? Can women do it? Oh my goodness. Maybe not. No, you can't. Right? All of us get to do it. All of us get to do it. In Acts 10, Peter's eyes are opened. He learns something about himself Uh, In light of Christ, as he says this, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, all people groups, no boundaries. Racism is not a thing in the Christian life. There is no holding back from one people group or one type of a person based on economics or anything, right? All people groups, the one who fears him, orthodoxy, fear means to believe and to own it, right? Right? and does what is right, orthopraxy. In other words, the person whose belief in Christ translates into a changed life where they're ministering Christ. We are called to do the stuff of ministry, right? Everyone gets to play, everybody. Maybe not everybody's going to be the pastor. Maybe not everybody's going to be this or that in the church, but everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to do ministry, but if our faith doesn't change our hearts to drive us into ministry with others, then maybe it's nothing but a subculture to us which makes, no, makes us nothing like Jesus at all. And maybe someday he would say, go away. You never gave me a drink. You never gave me anything to eat. He didn't care. He didn't do anything. He didn't care. What I said to you didn't matter. What I said to you didn't change your heart. It just kept you. And comfortable. We've got to take risk. Are we making ourselves available to him? Are we learning from what he did? Ready and willing to face our fears. And be used in the building of the kingdom of God. Here through the ministry of this local church. Because the truth of the matter is. Opportunities abound. They abound, right? People need the presence and the ministry of Jesus. They do. And as we go into the fall, as a body of believers, as a church, uh, each of us needs to be devoted to our own spiritual formation, engaging in the opportunities that this church provides to step out in faith, led by our teachers, led by our pastors, our prophets, our evangelists, and our apostles. That they would train us up and that we would be open to their leading as we we take risk in our ministry towards others. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for your message. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for what you've brought us into. Thank you for especially the fact that you go with us in it that this is not some badge of honor, that this is joyous, wonderful work that we're involved in, that your presence fills us and moves us out in it. I pray that each one of these people in front of me and myself included uh, this week would take one or two great risks in their faith. Maybe that is sharing with somebody. Maybe that's praying over somebody. Maybe that's just visiting somebody that they haven't visited. Maybe it's, uh, bringing somebody a meal, whatever it is, I pray that we would be ministers of your life and your message this week in what some way, shape, or form. We thank you for that.